0: hello everybody this is suzanne from citrus labs and you are listening to from lab to label a podcast that is all about the scientification of consumer brands this day and age sees more health and wellness brands than ever before but how can we tell if these new products are actually working on this show, I sit down with brand owners and people from the health and wellness industry to discuss new trends, research, ideas, and opportunities in supplements, cosmetics, and superfoods. And today on the podcast, we have Belinda Lau of Elims. Hi, Belinda. How are you?
1: Hi, Suzanne. Great. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. I'm always
0: very interested, you know, in, in companies and brands like yours, and it it would be great if you can just give me, you know, a very quick background on who you are and what led you to start Elims.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, my my educational background is actually graduated from Carnegie Mellon with a, a biomedical engineering and a material science engineering degree, and uh, actually worked in the medical device industry for. Over 15 years doing product development on everything between spinal devices to diabetes glucose um, monitors and uh, insulin pumps and and everything in between. So my my background is very much rooted in uh, design, product development, and healthcare.
0: Wow, that's awesome!
1: So you've seen it all. <laughs> I've seen some wild things in my days, for sure. <laughs> And my husband think, is a dentist, so that's why the oral care bit comes in between healthcare yeah. and oral care.
0: Absolutely. I wanted to I wanted to ask how how, you know, the connection to oral care comes because Elimps is an oral care brand, right?
1: Yes, it's an oral care brand that's rooted in innovation, but also in sustainability. And, you know, with my background and, you know, we've got three kids at home. My my husband, a, a, denti- a dentist for over 20 years, you know, he used to come home from the dental office and say, you know, you know, you can't imagine how much waste that there's in my dentist's office, you know, just to check one person's teeth, you have to basically shrink wrap the entire room. And there's the bibs and the gloves and all the little instruments And of course, at home with the three kids, you know, they're using the floss picks every day and throwing those away and toothbrushes. You know, it seems like the kids, they have to change their toothbrush every few weeks because they get frayed. Uh, very easily, And so, you know, we were just we've always been very mindful about like, you know, obviously having the best uh, oral care at home, but also just how much waste we produce and things like that. And so it just really was a few years ago, he and I were driving down the freeway here in in Los Angeles, and we're like, hey, you know, maybe we should do something about this. And that's, that's where we came together. And what we found was that the industry of oral care is is quite large. There are very few brands actually in this category, and there are very large names in the category, and no one was really doing what we're trying to do, which is be clinically backed oral care and sustainable at the same time. It seems that many people had to trade off either you get the best for your teeth and have a lot of waste for the planet, or you have these, you know you know corn starch flosses that would break mm-hmm. <laughs> before you even use it twice and so yeah. it just didn't seem like there was a lot of quality in the sustainability side so what we're trying to do is we're trying to merge these two and, and be up the, really at the the cross section of both having optimized healthcare but also um having a future friendly products that will will not create more waste for the planet because Essentially, everyone on the planet has to brush their teeth and take care of their teeth. And so if we can change the way that this industry looks at sustainability, but putting the oral health care first and the quality of the product first, we think we have a, a real opportunity to, to really change the industry and, and make it more sustainable without compromising your your health.
0: I agree. Yeah. And tell me a little bit more about, about your product.
1: Yeah, we have um, things like uh, toothpaste and teeth whitening, toothbrushes, most things that you would use at home to take care of your teeth. And we have an innovative twist on all of it. So for our, our toothpaste, we, we don't use fluoride, we use something called nanohydroxyapatite, which has been used You know, in Asia and in Europe for many years as an alternative to fluoride, and there's a lot of clinical data behind this ingredient to show that it remineralizes your teeth, makes them stronger, and it actually makes your teeth whiter. Um, and it, this is this ingredient slowly coming to the US. Actually, it was invented in the US. Nanohydroxyapatite was invented by NASA back in the 70s because when astronauts go to space, their teeth have to be really strong. And so they developed this product and this ingredient so that, you know, if you're an astronaut, you don't get to see a dentist in space if you have a cavity. <laughs> and so that, you know, the, this innovation is slowly coming into the consumer market here in the U.S. And, you know, all our toothpastes is housed in sugarcane-based tubes that are 100% recyclable, the less carbon impact on the planet compared to virgin plastic. And we have things like teeth whitening, um, teeth whitening strips that dissolve. They have no plastic in them, and but they're very effective. So we're taking products that people commonly use to take care of the teeth, but we're really pushing the envelope to make sure that, hey, can we make this more clinically effective, and then to can we make it more sustainable for the planet? And it's not perfect, but we think that we have, a, we have solutions that are better than sort of the conventional oral care products that are in your CVS oral care aisle.
0: And I love that uh, you have uh, electric toothbrush heads made out of bamboo. I think that is really, really awesome.
1: We're always looking for, hey, what do we don't want to change consumer behavior because it's very difficult. How can we enhance your oral care routine without changing what you already have and what you already do? But can we make it better? Can we make it more sustainable? Can we make it just a little different a different uh, uh, in, a bit more innovative so that's where we come in from from all of our product angles. And what inspired
0: the name <laughs> Um
1: it's actually the word smile backwards.
0: oh no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see it now. That's yeah, so awesome. <laughs> I, I love when I tell
1: people this, they actually smile when they realize what it means. So every bit of our brand has little hidden messages in it. Um, all our, our brand color is purple and purple is actually the official color of dentistry. And this color has not been claimed in this category. And so, um, so that's our official brand color. And with LMs or elms, you can call it either way, like we love, you know, it's smile backwards because that's what you're looking at when you're brushing your teeth. You're looking at yourself, you're looking at your reflection. And that's really what is, this is about. When you have great health, when you feel good about what you're doing and the purpose you have in this world, and you feel like you're doing good and being more sustainable, you smile, right? You love the way that you look in the mirror. So so that's really the, the meaning behind it. And then also you know, LMs could be like, you know, eliminating waste, eliminating mm-hmm. cavities, eliminating bad vibes. There's a lot of little hidden messages in it. And we love that it's short.
0: Yeah, I love it. Smile backwards, but also elimination. That's awesome. That's really clever. And <laughs> when, you. when did you start your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Actually, I've been uh sort of in and around small business since I was two years old. My parents immigrated to North America from from Myanmar or Burma, as it was previously called. And we, we were the poorest kids on the block. And to make ends meet, my parents opened up a little gift shop in in downtown and that's where i grew up since i was 2 years old i've i've worked nearly every single day of my life either in corporate america or working in, in in my parents gift shop even working every day when i was in college as an intern through my college days and um so entrepreneurship has been around me my my father himself had set up many companies from like you know real estate companies to like a luggage manufacturing company so it's it's been around me for my entire life and I decided to do this on my own in uh, in 2019 is when I really had this idea I thought hey this is something that's interesting it's important it's something that I know something about right I can I can actually have an impact in this category given my background as a biomedical engineer my husband knows something about it we could really do something here. So, so that's where it really came together. I wasn't trying to be like a software developer, something that I don't Mm -hmm. know anything about. I really wanted to make sure I could leverage my background leverage the resources that I have and be able to actually make a difference in this category.
0: I love it. I love that you started so early. And I think when you, when you see also your parents doing stuff like that, like what you mentioned, you know, having a lot of businesses and being involved in something like from when you are two years old I think it it really sets up up for life right and um, once you are an entrepreneur you're always an entrepreneur and I love that you kind of didn't you never knew anything else.
1: (laughs) I I really truly did it honestly you know we're just coming off of winter break here for my kids and they were uh, they were at home th- for three weeks, just playing video games and watching movies. And I was telling them that every weekend and winter summer break that I had as a kid, I was in the shop with my parents. I never had a I never had a winter break. I was always working. <laughs> I never had a weekend. I was always at the shop with my parents, doing everything from marketing, operations, finance, like you name it. Like you know, I I, I did it all in that shop, and and those lessons early on certainly translate to, to what we're doing here with LMs and you know being scrappy and you know we're, we we've bootstrapped the entire business on our own. So it, it to me that's very familiar. We're like we never got funding from a VC when we were, you know, kids running the shop. We um we did it all on our own with the resources that we had. And that's 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 how we're building LMs as well.
0: That's awesome. And I think also that, you know, in in the current times where VC funding really dried up. I think you know, knowing everything about operations, about finance, about bootstrapping, about being scrappy. Uh, I think that's that's a real superpower.
1: It's served me well so far. <laughs> We're still here. The <laughs> business is still alive. It's doing very well. And I I do attribute it to a lot of the lessons that I learned from um, watching my parents and my family working through all of these difficulties, being a small business.
0: And speaking of your know, lessons learned also from your parents, um, what would you say was the biggest learning in your journey today?
1: Oh, you know, the really, truly, it's so cliched, but it, the true, the biggest learning I've had is that, you know, cash is king, and mm-hmm. managing your finances very closely in an organized way is so important. Like there's two days out of the month, I call my CFO days. I, I'm the CFO as long as, as well as the CEO. <laughs> so I, I call it my CFO days and two days out of the month, it's the 10th and 25th of every month. I sit down and I look at every expense, every um, account, uh, all the money in, all the money out. I, I take record of it in, in a very efficient way. It only takes me like a few minutes now when I do it. And But this way of organizing my finances it really has made all the difference. And it's what's made us profitable at a very early stage. And we're able to do much more as a healthy, very healthy business. And honestly, most books and podcasts, and even when I went to UCLA for my MBA, they don't teach you about these things, you know, they teach you growth and growth and growth is Mm -hmm. at all costs even if it means you're not profitable ever. And we, we've been profitable since year two of our business because of the way that we've handled the finances. And even though it's a very small base for revenue and a small base for the profit, it's still there. And so that's been my biggest learning. And it's I find that um, a lot of people don't, don't really pay attention to that as much as they should. And I think that's why, you know, when something like the pandemic hits and the economy goes down, less companies are able to survive because they're already running on like razor, razor thin cash.
0: Yeah. And congratulations for achieving profitability so early. I think this is something that uh, most brands are really jealous of (laughs) and uh, often unfortunately also never, you know, achieve profitability because as you mentioned, um, when you go to business school or even when you talk to VCs, it's all about growth, right? Tripling the you know, tripling, 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 doubling, doubling revenue. But obviously it, it comes at a cost. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when you when you're growing so fast, but it's not fast enough and people don't give you additional money, then obviously that means that you can't continue with your business, at least as is. So the way you are doing things is you actually take your destiny into your own hands. And I love it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. actually I have very great mentors and advisors. And, and the ones that have done the best for themselves were the ones who, you know, never took on any money. And they were scrappy from day one, even now, like, you know, 10, 20 years later in their business. And they, they, they only worked off of whatever they could afford, right? There was no money coming Mm -hmm. in if they didn't make the sale. And so that's, I've taken that to heart here.
0: And your primary role when you're not the CFO two days of the month is uh, probably also product development, right? And uh, you have, you know, toothpaste, you have whitening kits, you have the uh, toothbrush heads um, and also other products. So, how do you actually, you know, decide what to what to create next? And how does uh, innovation work for you?
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, there's a lot of market research involved. Like, what's the industry asking for? You know, what are the market research reports saying about what are sort of the trends that are happening? Not even just in oral care, but sort of in personal care and healthcare as a whole. What innovations are coming out that we can apply? To the products that we have. Um, in addition to, to customer feedback, uh, there's a survey that I run every single year with different groups of people, mostly consumers, asking very similar questions so that we can see what are the trends over the years. And then we also check in with our customers uh, repeatedly. Hey, what do you, you know, what are we doing well? What are we what should we stop doing? What should we start doing um you know what are what are things about our products that you like or our services that you like or what are things that we can improve on so i'm always i always have like um, an ear to the the customer and that could be like the dentist the dentist's office it could be the end user who's using our products at home it could be our retailers like anthropology or, or urban outfitters you know what what do what are they seeing and i always i I'm always take a data first approach. And then I always um, see, is there anything else that I can do in this space? For example, we have like a floss product coming out and no one likes flossing. It's like the Mm -hmm. thing that's very unsexy. It's annoying. It's annoying. You know, (laughs) it's great when you do it, but no one wants to do it. So is there a way that I can innovate in this space, in this category? Can I make it more sustainable? First of all, can I make it more clinically effective Therefore, you know, improving the user experience and hopefully having people, you know, do it more than they're they're doing now. So I always look at is there if there is a need here, something that people don't want to do, but they should be doing. Can I make it better? And that's how I look at all of innovation.
0: And you mentioned that you're constantly talking to your customers and asking for feedback and How do you ensure customer satisfaction in the first place? And also, you know, that ties really into also building trust. And how did you actually start building trust also into your brand?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with um, listening to what the customer needs, right? Like, what are they looking for? What are the problems they're trying to solve? And like meeting them where they're at, not necessarily giving them what they're asking for, but listening for what are their needs in between? Like, can I make it easier for them, make it more enjoyable for them? Can I make it cheaper for them? Like, what what can I do to help them on that front? And then I think it's also testing, right? Doing a lot of testing to make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever you're developing is actually meeting that mark. And also um, when it comes to clinically backed products like us, like making sure that we're doing the right clinical trials, that the data makes sense, that the product is being as effective as, as we need it to be in order to, to, to make the the claims and do what we need to do in our, in our category.
0: That's amazing. And What would be your advice for up and coming founders?
1: Oh, I have so much advice. Um, (laughs) If it's a founder and not just, just an entrepreneur, right? There's different ways of being entrepreneurs, right? If you're a founder, it means you're creating something from scratch. And honestly, I have found that to be the most difficult thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Building something from scratch that is different that no one knows about. And so the the hardest time in the business was definitely that first year where, you know, this elusive product market fit, right? And, and, and in fact, many founders and many entrepreneurs don't even know what product market fit is. And it's the hardest pain because nobody knows you, you exist. <laughs> you have to pay money to, to let people know you exist. Then you have to figure out how to let them know that you're, what, you're, what your value is, what you offer, and you know, sort of hope and pray that they they actually purchase your products and, and like it and come back and, and purchase it some more. That, I, I find that to be a very difficult thing. you know, you, you know, the, the typical MBA mentality is you take something, sort of existing and you you sprinkle that MBA magic on it, you make it more efficient, you make it more operable, you make it more profitable. Whereas being a founder, you're really doing something so different, you have to create everything from the start from the brand to like the products to the messaging, to the operations, everything comes from scratch. And it's so hard. And um, I always encourage other founders who are in that early stage to really just kind of hold on. And the best advice I was given by an advisor was this question. And the question was, who is thinking about the problem you're trying to solve every day? And this question materially changed the way that we did business because before I thought, okay, my customer is this end consumer. Perhaps it's a mom who's reading the back of ingredients labels. She's really involved in her kids' nutrition and her own nutrition, and trying to like you know have a more holistic, non toxic living style. But you know, ultimately, she's not the person who is thinking about the problem I'm solving every day. She just needs the products to work. And so when someone asked me this question, I started to think, well, who is really thinking about this problem that I'm trying to solve every day of their life? And the answer was the, the dental hygienist, right? It's not my direct customer, but the dental hygienist is someone who's educated, who has a lot of tools in their uh, toolkit to help their patients. They're always looking for new, different things. They're looking for innovation. They are literally every day thinking about oral hygiene, and they're like, thinking about the, the things that we're trying to solve for every day. And so when we started partnering with the dental hygienist community, even though they're not necessarily purchasing my product, that's when our business really materially changed and we hit product market fit because we found the right people to evangelize our mission and our products and our, our philosophy. And that translates to the end customer. So I I really encourage new founders to really think about this question. And really, maybe the person that you're trying to market to is not necessarily the person who has the greatest influence over that end customer.
0: I also think that when, you know, when people think about product market fit, it's, it's, it's something weird to describe. But sometimes, you know, people think they have it, but they don't. But the thing is that once you actually hit product market fit, you know, 100% that this is what product market fit feels like, but you can't describe it to anybody else. Is that also the case for you?
1: (laughs) That is 100% exactly. When it started to happen, I remember it was February of 2022. I just like looked at my business partner. I was like, I think it's happening. (laughs) Like I couldn't really describe it, but it really is. You could see the sales were up. The organic reaching reaching out from different parts of the you know social media and and uh retail customers it all just started like happening around that same time and it's really difficult to describe but the certainly the the pain before getting to that point it was very real and i i see a lot of founders struggle in that lack of product market fit and uh, I really think it's really understanding who you're really trying to target and who's influencing that person and going after that target even though it's a, it could be a small niche starting with a, like a small group of like mega fans of your products and your business is is really the way to grow
0: So my takeaway from today is who is thinking about the problem you're trying to solve every day? Yes. This was a very great learning. And Belinda, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, at, we're all over the internet or you can follow us on social media. So we're on Instagram at lms.oralcare. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn's Belinda Lee Lau. And you can also connect with uh, our company on, on LinkedIn as well. And of course on our website, it's LMS.co.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was very
1: great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to From Lab to Label, the scientification of consumer brands. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. To learn more about Citrus Labs, please visit citruslabs.com. And you can check out more of our content and join our email list. Also, feel free to send us your questions at hello at citruslabs.com. Thanks again and see you next time.